Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game, and sometimes other games too. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Doing very good. Doing very good. Lovely sunny day. Another sunny day here in in sunny Scotland. How about you? It's been pouring with rain here. (laughs) We've drawn the pouring rain weather card, which uh, has had an effect. But we're not alone. Because we're also joined by someone else. We're joined by Andrew Navarro, the head of studio of Earthborn Studios, as well as the creative director on Earthborn Rangers. Have I got that right, Andrew? Uh, that, you know, that's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Frank. Hi, Peter. Hi, Hi, Andrew. Welcome to the cast. Thank you. So, yeah, this is a little bit of a break from what we'd normally be doing on Drawn to the Flame. And we're going to be talking all about Earthborn Rangers in this episode with Andrew. What I want to say right away at the start is obviously we'll probably bring back some of our thoughts to Arkham, (laughs) just because that's our shared frame of reference. And obviously it's our listeners' shared frame of reference as well. So listener, if you're getting aggravated that we keep mentioning this other game, Arkham Horror, (laughs) that's because that's what the podcast (laughs) is normally about. And I think there can be some useful things in the comparison there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, especially if you're used to that game, I think you're going to have a lot of questions about, you know, how does it, how is it different? You know, like, how's it experientially? What am I getting out of it instead? Um, yeah, I think you'll, I think that's a totally fair thing to do. So people who've never heard of you, Andrew, do you want to give us a, a brief career history of who you are and what's brought you to this point? <laughs> sure. Well, I, I got my first job bagging groceries uh, when I was 14. Um, I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll skip ahead. Uh, yeah, so I, uh, I worked for a, a very long time at Fantasy Flight Games. Um, I worked there in a, in, a, in a lot of different roles, graphic designer, um, art director, digital creative director, creative director, <laughs> and uh, eventually uh, head of studio, uh, where I, I was head of studio for, for three years. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple years ago, I left uh, and I joined uh, Chip Theory Games for about a year and a half and worked there as a studio director and helped them on a couple projects, including um, the uh, forthcoming uh, Elder Scrolls uh, board game. I recently left there when I announced uh, the company that I have been working on concurrently with working with at Chip Theory, uh, Earthborn Games. And um, I had... I had illusions of trying to uh, work both, continue to work both for Chip Theory and for Earthborn after announcing, but uh, it it immediately became clear to me that it was going to be impossible to do that. So Mm -hmm. last couple of months, uh, I've been focused uh, entirely on on Earthborn and uh, prepping Earthborn Rangers for Kickstarter. And now, as the time of this recording, we're halfway through the Earthborn Rangers uh, Kickstarter campaign. So... This is a nice little oasis uh, away from uh, constant typing and, and communicating with backers in the comments and emails and direct messages. It's been awesome. Uh, it, the response has been phenomenal. And the people who are backing and commenting are uh, have been just so kind and supportive that uh, but it's um, it's a it's a it's a nonstop. It's a nonstop thing. Uh, <laughs> I knew it was a yeah. lot of work, but you know, knowing something and doing something are two very different things. So, uh, so it's been great. It's been very fulfilling, but um, uh, very tiring as well. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us as well. We really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for the opportunity. And just just to add to what you said about your career history, Andrew, I know you've done a couple of other interviews 
uh, that have come out in the past few weeks. Um, there was one with Show Up and Sit Down, um, one with Team Covenant, and uh, one with Man vs. Meeple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've, especially in the Show Up and Sit Down one, you've talked a lot about your uh, your career with FFG. You go into a lot of depth there. Um, it was an absolutely fascinating listen from someone whose point of view has been kind of on the outside for a lot of the time you were the, the, the studio director and, and your various roles you've had there. It's a fascinating listen to that. So, yeah, we, we won't talk too much about that, but I can recommend anyone who wants to learn a bit more. Um, that's a great place to go um, and, and listen to some. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it it uh, <laughs> uh, talking with Matt is great. He's he's always a delight to talk to, and uh, yeah, it's a it it is a very very in depth podcast. He kept a, he kept a lot. We talked for a couple hours, so he edited some stuff out, but uh, he kept he kept the bulk of it. It's it's pretty it's pretty beefy. If you if you'd like a deep dive on my career at FFG, it's uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, to our listeners, if you want to hear that stuff, it's not going to be here and. What people behind, what people listening don't know is that obviously those interviews were actually done a little while ago and it's spread out. Because I was going to ask you how your voice is holding up, but I think it's your fingers <laughs> that are suffering with the Kickstarter rather than your voice. Yeah, and my shoulders that hunching over my computer. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I think to start really is that idea of an elevator pitch. And if someone's only going to join us for the beginning of this episode, what do you want to tell them, Andrew, about Earthborn Rangers and where they can find out more? Yeah, so if you're looking to find out more information about Earthborn Rangers, you can go to the uh, the Kickstarter page. You can search for Earthborn Rangers uh, in, in Kickstarter. You can just Google it, and uh, it's it's pretty exhaustive. If you go and you you read the in, the entire project page, it'll give you a really good idea of what it is. And then if you go into uh, the updates, um, we've gone into even greater detail uh, over the past eleven days uh, about all sorts of things, from the rules to deck building to the lore, uh, to the art, uh, a lot of really fun stuff in there. So if you're looking for more information, I, uh, I encourage you to go check out that page. But the elevator pitch uh, for the game is that it's a sustainably produced, customizable, cooperative card game. So you're in the same genre as, uh, as Arkham Horror. And it takes place in the wilderness of the far future. So a couple thousand years in the future. And it envisions a world where uh, a few years from now, Humanity comes together and uh, undoes the damage that we've done to the Earth. And uh, the Earth goes through, you know, a thousand odd years of some pretty tumultuous uh, change and healing. And then uh, after that, humanity reemerges and then uh, sets out upon the Earth again. And this game takes place, you know, about 1500 years after that. So it really imagines... Humanity, uh, having changed significantly, having gone through this experience together and uh, tries to envision what those people might be like and what their world might be like and what their attitudes might be like. And uh, the one thing that all the people of the world of Earthborn have in common is they all believe that the Earth must be cared for, that they can't allow the Earth to be jeopardized again because it's our home. So there are a lot of different cultures, but that is the one thing that they that they hold uh, together and that 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 thing also drives them to cooperate with one another. So they don't fight over resources. They don't war with each other. Uh, in short, uh, they think very differently than we do. Um, and it's really fun to imagine humanity at its at its best and uh, and try to create a setting where where those people can thrive and then, you know, create situations where they have adventures and have challenges of their own. And that's, you know, what you'll be doing as a player is you'll be uh, you'll be dealing with a lot of 
interesting interesting challenges and consequences from the things that uh, your ancestors did to help preserve the earth uh and it's uh, there's a lot of fun stuff to explore there there's so many th- things that sound sort of familiar and then so many things that sound really different and really enticing. <laughs> I think it's a really good elevator pitch. You know, some of it, okay, it's a cooperative card game, but then also it's the the far future, but a future that I don't think many people have imagined before, a, a positive, optimistic future. That idea that we're um, in some way in unison as a, as a society or as a group of societies, I think is really intriguing. And for me as a card game player, it's then, okay, well, what will be the challenges playing how will that uh play out at the table yeah so the the, the challenge in the game so it, it's something that's very different from uh from earthborn rangers uh structurally uh, from uh, arkham horror or you know lord of the rings or marvel champions is that uh there's no opposing force there, there's no sauron uh there's <laughs> there's no mythos uh there's no you know super villain there trying to defeat you Instead, the uh, the game focuses on on exploration, and uh, really allows you to uh, to get into an environment, explore it, walk around it, and uncover what is there. Um, you'll be going on missions, so you'll have things that you'll have to accomplish. Uh, but really, if there's any enemy, the only enemy is is, is time in some in- in- instances. But that being said, it's not a scenario based game. So that's, again, another thing that's very different from those other games. Uh, It's not about building a deck specifically to counter whatever that particular scenario is throwing at you. Mm. When you build your deck, you'll be building a character very much like you would in a role-playing game. Well, You'll have things you'll want to try to accomplish. You'll have a way that you'd like to play, and you'll try to express that through your deck and then see how it interacts with the world around you. So you'll have missions like I said, but uh, you won't necessarily fail if uh, if you don't accomplish those missions because um, you can totally get distracted and go do other things. And uh, yeah, Team Covenant, by the time this post, will have a couple videos up. But in their first video, they, they did just that. Like they had a what sounded like, you know, a relatively important mission. They have a search and rescue mission. And usually, you know, if you know how those go, time is sometimes of the essence it's good to find the person sooner rather than later but uh uh they didn't <laughs> and they got distracted doing other things and uh so that means uh, and then their their day their session ended and then they'll progress to the next day and based on the day uh that will determine the outcome of your mission so uh that will happen a lot so that the game world lives and continues to to persist whether you do things or not. Uh, so there'll be moments like that where you'll have those missions where you, you know, you could try to like beeline it and do it right away. Or it could be like, ah, you know what? That person's fine. We don't need to find them right away. And then you can go do some other thing, find some other side mission and get some other kind of reward. Uh, and then eventually get, get back to it. But um, at the end of the mission, it the game will check to see, you know, what day is it? What if there could be other circumstances that maybe factor into that that then change the outcome? Uh, all tracked in the campaign log, uh, and that'll kind of like be the judge of you know how well you did. So when you're trying to like you know win a game of Earthborn Ranger, like really what you're trying to do is you're looking for whatever you know narrative outcome is that that you'd like, right? Mm-hmm. So like if if you want to play a game where you're 
<laughs> you're like, well, we really want to <laughs> rescue that person as soon as possible. <laughs> and then you fail to do that. Like that might feel like you've lost a little bit and you might be tempted to, to try again. But the game is designed in such a way that it, it continues. It never tells you game over. It never says, hey, reset. So I'm hopeful that people will just kind of go with it <laughs> and see what happens. Uh, and then because uh, there's so much to do in a campaign, it's impossible to do it all uh, in a single playthrough. So I'm, I'm hopeful that people will go through it with a certain with a specific character and then, you know, go and try it again and see if they can, you know, have some different outcomes along the way. That's fascinating. And I think we'll we'll dive into some of those elements you've mentioned as we go on. Let's let's zoom out a bit and just take a broader look at uh, I guess cooperative card games in general. There've been several key co-op card games that came out of FFG. I guess all of them while you were at least working there and I don't know oh, yeah. how involved you were on on all of, all of the projects. All, all in increasing levels, from right. the first to the last. <laughs> so, so early on, obviously, you had uh, Lord of the Rings LCG, which is now, is it, it's still ongoing, I think, in terms of there's, is there the, the difficult versions of the campaigns coming out still, or is it, uh, I, I can never remember. I, I never played really it. Paid attention. We had plans to do things when I left, but um, I don't know what they've done. I haven't really, haven't really kept up. But that's obviously that that's been going, and people still playing it for for a long time. Yeah, over ten years. Yep. Yeah, which mm-hmm. in terms of the life cycle of the LCGs is is quite uh, ancient. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and and obviously, Mar- Marvel and Arkham came out more recently, and. As we said before we started, actually, we weren't sure what a podcast for a cooperative uh, card game was going to look like. Um, is there going to be a community forming around it? Is um, is there going to be something to talk about every every month or every week? And I guess regular listeners will know we're on about episode 230 or something now. So <laughs> the answer was yes. <laughs> the Arkham and Marvel came up more recently and they, they kind of seem to be the last one standing of that of those LCGs. You got any thoughts about the appeal of those or, or what the studio was really trying to do when it, when it came up with those projects? Well, um, Lord of the Rings, I mean, obviously they, they all kind of go back to, uh, to the Lord of, Lord of the Rings LCG and, uh, and the design that Nate French did. He really pitched that as a, like, uh, you know, just something he, he, he's talked about before um, where he's, he essentially, you know, observed people or like he himself when he would test decks for competitive games, he would create a deck for his opponent and do like, you know, like fake draws off the top and then like kind of like simulate the uh, the experience, the back and forth to try to see if his deck build was working how he wanted to before he went to a tournament or something like that. Nate is a very, very good uh, card player. I don't think I've ever beaten him at anything um <laughs> uh maybe once i don't know i came really close i came really close i, I beat lucas litzinger in android netrunner once and it was like the greatest moment of my life uh, and then he uh continued then, then he proceeded to to he was like oh guys oh i see now uh and then he he beat the crap out of me but uh so it, it started from that as like a as a point of inspiration and and i think he went to uh chris and kind of pitched him this you know this basic idea of like a a, a cooperative or, or solo card game that would um kind of uh, where the where the deck would just respond and, and do stuff to you and then they you know turn that into into lord of the rings um i was still a, a graphic designer at the time and i was working on 
some other project. They brought me in at the very end to lay out, help lay out the rulebook and do some rulebook graphics. Uh, I think I did the graphics on like a token <laughs> in that game. <laughs> Most of that game is uh, graph designed by a guy named Kevin Childress. Uh, it's really awesome, like intricate designs. He 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 did all of his work with a mouse. It's insane, um, but amazing. <laughs> After that game came out, so that we didn't really necessarily know, you know, when we released it, like how it would be received, obviously. Uh, but after it came out, Christian was like, oh my gosh, yeah, this is, this is a thing. This is, a, this is a big thing. So we then, we were working on a uh, Star Wars card game at the time, a competitive Star Wars card game. And uh, as Lord of the Rings kind of was out there and started making some waves, uh, he's like, uh, let's, we're going to, we're going to shut down this version of the Star Wars card game and we're going to do a cooperative Star Wars LCG based on the strength of this premise. Wow. So then we spent a ton of time making a cooperative Star Wars LCG. We brought it to Gen Con and then uh, the response there was like, why is this cooperative? Like, I want to be fighting. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's my, whenever I present a co-op game to my wife, that's, that's always her. And her whole family's like that as well. If I get a co-op <laughs> game out, they're like, well, how do I win? <laughs> right, right, yeah. So, like, you imagine, like, I mean, you, you try to, like, process, like, that today, you know, like, you know, 10 years later, where after cooperative games have just exploded, uh, and it's it's the primary way and sometimes the only way that some people will even play anything. Um, but at the time, relatively foreign concepts, and for fans of Star Wars who were used to you know, like the old Star Wars card games, those like the Cypher game or even like the Watsi game, like those were all competitive games. So the initial response from the the fans at Gen Con was really negative. So anyway, so we ended up scrapping that and then going back to the third version of the Star Wars LCG, which is eventually what uh, what came out. And then when we released that, people were like, well, why isn't this co-op? <laughs> of course. <laughs> ah! <laughs> it's very hilarious. So it took a, a hot minute for us to really then uh, get going on a, on another uh, cooperative LCG. But, you know, during that time, Lord of the Rings just exploded. And, you know, you can look at the sheer volume of products that are available for that game. It's it's ridiculous. I want to say it's like it's over 100 um, easily uh, of card game, card based products. The heyday of that was when I was working as the managing art director. So... Lord of the Rings, it was just Lord of the Rings, nonstop Lord of the Rings. Uh, so, so many products uh, we did, like those big, uh, you know, th those box expansions, and then those had cycles. And then on top of that, we were doing uh, the saga expansions, which were the ones that like followed the narrative of the of the novel. And then on top of that, we started doing the the nightmare decks, which were the, you know, the things that like, you know, increased your, increased your difficulty. If you, you know, just in case the game wasn't hard enough for yeah. you, I don't know. Uh, I don't know who that, I don't know who those people are, but there, there's enough of them out there where those things sold reasonably well at the beginning. And uh, yeah, it was just so much stuff. Just so, so much Lord of the Rings, hundreds, thousands of Lord of the Rings art pieces we worked on. Uh, but that was uh, also fun. You know, I got to, like, especially those Saga expansions, uh, worked with Chris Ron, uh, who um, uh, did all those cover illustrations. And those are amazing, beautiful, like, actual literal paintings 
um, not just digital pieces, uh, just gorgeous work. So yeah, so that that's kind of how it all started, and then you know a few years later, then uh, then the the seed the seed was planted to do uh, to do Arkham Horror as a as an LCG and try to adapt the board game to uh, to a card game. Yeah, I, and I know actually just just to slip it in there because I've, I've often said this to Frank, there was actually, there was a Warhammer Quest card game as well, mm-hmm. um, which always felt like it was it was ripe for expansions, um, but that that came out not long before the the gu license changed hands right yeah that that we had there's like i, I think there's a, a couple print on demand expansions for warhammer yeah, Quest. Um, like character character type decks yeah 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 and eventually we repackaged that as heroes of Tiranoth, just ah, so it could yeah. live again uh but i don't think they ever did any uh i don't th- i think they that no expansions ever came out to that ultimately but that's essentially the same game, and technically, I think they're even compatible. So uh, it's kind of <laughs> like an expansion. You should try and revisit that. Actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My copy sitting somewhere. Yeah, I think I think you can just see mine on the webcam, just there. Oh yeah. So, what about your experience with Arkham, Andrew? What did you take from the development of that that you've maybe carried forward to Earthborn now? Oh sure. So uh, by the time we were working on Arkham Horror, the card game, uh, you know, MJ was working primarily on that uh, design, and I was working mostly on Mansions of Madness because uh, those two came out. Mansions of Madness Second Edition, because uh, mm-hmm. those two came out right on top of each other, <laughs> and that uh, was one of the times where I was like, "Should we release these at the same time?" Like it feels <laughs> like I don't know. Uh, but it turned out to be just fine. Like it, they both found their audience, and and they both did really, really well. But uh, so it, during development, my involvement really, like I, I remember this very clearly. I was essentially brought in to like <laughs> give it like a just a because I'm a pretty I'm a pretty critical person um, when it comes to evaluating quality and things, and uh, I'm I'm very hard to please when it comes to gameplay and and enjoying gameplay. So I was kind of, I remember I was like kind of tapped to like give it, give the game my, my, my seal of approval because everyone was feeling really good about it. And they're like, let's put it in front of Andrew and see how he feels about it. Uh, (laughs) And it was so good. Uh, It felt so good. Like I I was so excited after that play test. I was, I was really blown away by it because I hadn't, I've been busy, you know, working on this other project the entire time. I I barely, I'd only just heard people talking about it. Uh, so when I finally got to sit down and play, yeah, it was just, it was just cool. I and mean, if you remember the first time you you played Arkham, like it, it's yeah. a, it's a really awesome experience. So like just playing it with you know white boxes and you know the the uh, we played the you know the intro scenario in the in the core set, the one with the when you're in your house and everything starts going crazy. And it was just so engaging and cool. Yeah, it was a really good time. So, uh, so that was my first experience with it. Just uh, kind of getting there and being like, "Yep," and I reporting back, "Yep, it's very cool." <laughs> uh, you guys are right. Uh, so, um, after that, uh, I, shortly after that, I, I, I changed roles and then became uh, you know creative director at large uh, at FFG. So not just the digital stuff, but but all the uh, all all the artwork graphic design and fiction uh, was under me for uh, several years. And that's really the bulk of the work that I did on, uh, on Arkham Horror in the, in the core set, steering the graphic design and the artwork 
the Mythos cards, uh, the graph design on those is by Evan Simonette, who's uh, working with me now on Earthborn Rangers. Oh, wow. Yes, same same person. Uh, very very amazing artwork. I have the uh, the I had the Mythos uh, card back. That one, yep, really big on my uh, in my office uh, at FFG. I love that card back. So yeah, so I worked on the graph design and the artwork uh, for the core set, and then you know going forward doing that for all you know for all the billion expansions we did. Yeah. we've done for uh, we've done for uh, for Arkham Horror. I think my biggest my biggest contribution to the Arkham Horror product line is uh, the uh, return to boxes, where I was looking for a way to do something similar to the Nightmare decks. Uh, but obviously, since you know Arkham has d- difficulty scaling built into the Chaos Bag, uh, it didn't you know it didn't really need new cards to make it difficult. So I was like, yeah, what if we just you know changed out a few cards and you know gave people a, a, a different experience with the uh with the scenarios and give them an, an opportunity to you know return to those things <laughs> um, yeah, literally <laughs> uh, yeah and uh, and i was like and then we could also give them this like awesome box and uh, so I, I remember again like talking to mj i was like do you think you have time to do that and she never says no to work uh <laughs> which i'm sure she could tell you um uh always doing so so many things and always uh doing such an amazing job so like oh yeah sure yeah i can yeah, i can i can i can work that in um uh so uh so then going down that road and knowing how nightmare decks eventually played out where at the end like they were just hemorrhaging money like they were so expensive to make uh, we were selling so so few of them. Mm-hmm. I was really nervous that you know the because the production value and cost of uh, the return to box is much much higher. So I was like, ah, you know, hopefully we can do them all and it'll be fine. But I'm like, ah, we, we they might just be like a few of them and then they'll, the quantities will be too low to be able to continue. But uh, they were received exceptionally well, so um, uh, so I think they're, they've they've just kept going strong. And I, like from my perspective, like I don't even I I, I don't even get a cycle until the, the return to box is out, and then I just put it all in the box uh, and have yeah. it all in one place. And I and I think they look really fun on the shelf with their little uh, with with their little library cards in them. They look really good. Yeah, I can <laughs> see mine where we're recording here now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking as you were saying that I can't think of community members saying, oh no, the return twos aren't worth it because they offer so many different things. Yeah. Storage, new gameplay, some new player cards, the little achievements, some like sort of rule balancing or fixing as well. If there are bits that haven't worked in scenarios, they can be quickly tweaked or new ways of playing scenarios, yeah. And the, the tarot set in, in the most recent one just seems to have been an absolute smash hit. Everyone's talking about the tarot deck. People that I that don't play the game, I know, are interested in it because they're like, "Oh, there's a tarot deck. That sounds really cool." Yeah, yeah. Almost yeah. to the point of like, "Can I buy this just to have the tarot deck?" Uh, yeah, the art yeah. And, and and the cards there are really really cool. Yeah, no, that was another that was the thing that uh, that MJ pitched. The, the question was, yeah, could we could we sell just a tarot deck? And I'm like, well, maybe, but can we make it? part of the game instead <laughs> so uh so that's what we did <laughs> so what what have you do you think you've captured from uh what made that game great and brought into earthborn 
so yeah, there there are a few things in, in Arkham that I uh, that I really enjoyed. Um, I think you know, like I said, the the feel of it is is the uh, I think is the thing that really stands out, like how it really captures the experience of uh, and you feel like you're in that place and it, it really creates that that sense of uh, narrative and excitement so experientially uh, you know that's the thing about that game that I uh, that I admire uh, mechanically I, I love the the player turn structure very similar to Netrunner which is my favorite game of all time you know just having that not not having a phase based player turn you know where you're like stuck doing you know it's the main phase and then it's your combat phase and it's your second main phase and you know your challenges phase you know whatever is phase 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 recently uh frank frank and i looked at the the call of cthulhu um lcg and <laughs> that's got th- phases th- oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's some phases where you like you do one thing and then you go into the next phase <laughs> yeah. yeah the it's take fantastic. a sip of water phase yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yes it's very very procedural so yeah, I, I uh, so when I was talking with Adam and Brady at the beginning, like that's what I, one thing I, that's the thing that I said that I the one thing I wanted to have was something that was similar to that where where what you did on your turn was largely up to you. Uh, you weren't like being railroaded through uh, a bunch of a bunch of phases. But uh, you know that that's 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 pretty much it. Um, we have something that's kind of similar to the. Uh, uh, to a, a test, we have a test system, um, you know, which, you know, you'll, which in some, like, terminology-wise is similar to uh, Arkham Horror, but how it plays out in Earthborn Rangers is very different. But there'll be opportunities for you to discard cards from your hand with icons on them to increase your chances of success on a test. So in that way, that it's similar, but <laughs> everything around <laughs> doing actions and tests in Earthborn is so different that like mm-hmm. it's uh, it, the, the similarities kind of dissolve immediately when you see how it actually functions. That's the is that the challenges deck? Is that what it's called? No, so Chal- challenge uh, deck. Yeah, so whenever you do a, uh, I don't know if you want to get in the weeds on uh, <laughs> on the on the action system in uh, in Earthborn Rangers yeah, sure. yet. Yeah, go on. So yeah, so whenever you do an action on the table, so you'll see on the, on the table there'll be a uh, a abbreviation for your for your stat. Uh, you have four you have four uh, stats or aspects we call them. There's fitness, focus, awareness, and spirit. Every you'll you'll choose what the mix of those numbers are when you create your character at the beginning of the game. So those can vary from uh, from three to one. There's always a three. There's always a one. There's always two twos. And then you'll, the arrangement of those on those cards. Uh, we have all the we have all the arrangements of that <laughs> basic thing. Uh, we have ideas of doing things that you know have like very min max like four ones, but none of that's in the core set. So uh, those will then provide you energy, like these resource tokens that you'll spend during your turn to play cards and to perform actions, and then. Uh, You'll go back and forth between you and the other players. You'll perform an action, then it'll pass to someone else. It's kind of like Star Wars Destiny in that way, where it's like, I do a thing, and then it goes to someone else. So it's not like Arkham, where you have like action points, and you have a menu of actions you can do, and then once you're done, then it passes to the next person. It's much, much more uh, fast-paced, uh, where you you do a thing, and then it passes to someone else. They get to do a thing, and it comes back to you. You get to do a thing, obviously, it depending on how many players you have, uh, that your experience will be different. So you have these energies that you're spending, and then you'll try to 
manage those resources during your turn to do as much with them as possible. And then at the end of your end of the round, you'll rest, you'll refresh, you'll get all that stuff back, and then you'll get to do it all over again. So when you're doing tests on the table, like I said, you'll have a little abbreviation there that'll match your aspect. So like say it's a fitness test, it'll say fit, and then it'll have a little plus, and then it'll have a symbol. And that symbol is your approach. And those are the icons that are on the cards. And they are uh, conflict, connection, reason, and exploration. And uh, those kind of are like thematic ways that your character is then uh, is then uh, helping t- helping themselves to complete that particular action. So if you have icons that match that in your hand, you can discard those to increase your effort on a test. But when you see your stat, you're going to be taking any number of tokens you want to apply to that test. Um, that's kind of like a risk reward there. Like you could commit one and see how it goes or you could like just kind of go all in with it You're like oh, i really want to make sure i do this thing I'm dump all my energy into it and then discard a couple extra cards just to ensure success uh and then instead of a uh, a chaos bag like an arkham we have a challenge deck um so it's a deck of 24 cards it has uh, modifiers for each of the different aspects you're going to draw one of those cards uh those numbers range from plus one to minus two and you're going to apply that to your result, and you're going to see if you succeeded at your test. Oftentimes, the uh, penalty for failure is just not succeeding at the test because <laughs> you just dumped a bunch of resources into the thing. Uh, but sometimes there's also an additional uh, additional rules that if you fail, then you might be injured, or you know you have to discard a card, or some other thing might happen to you. But then on those challenge cards, the in addition to your test, like that's when the world comes to life. So unlike Arkham, where like it's the players go and then the game goes, the players go and then the game goes, whenever you take an action on the table, the game will always respond. So it's kind of like having that, you know, that enemy phase occurs every single time you do anything. And then so on those challenge cards, there's a symbol. There's one of three symbols is a crest, the sun and a mountain. Those will correspond to symbols that you'll see on the table on the cards. And whenever you see a matching symbol, you'll trigger whatever effect uh, is on that card on the table. And uh, that's where the game comes to life. That's where like predators will hunt prey. That's where like the, you know, bucks will like buck their, you know, hit their (laughs) antlers together. And, uh, or or, like you might be like trying to go gather some, uh, some fruit and then a prey will go and then eat that fruit before you get a chance. Or uh, the game might spit out uh, uh, predators at you uh, because you're near an animal's lair. Uh, it might rain on you. There's all sorts of things uh, that can happen uh, when those uh, when those icons are revealed. I, I really like that it's it's almost it's like predictable in a way. You can you can look at the you're not drawing a challenge card until you decide to do a test anyway. So so you can be prepared for what you're going to do, but you can also look at the table, the tableau, and say, well, if this this symbol comes up, these are the things that that's going to happen. So there's like. It's like an element of like working in harmony with the environment, I think. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You, you can you can be like, well, I know this is going to happen. How do I prepare? How do I fit into this system um, in order to not be <laughs> destroyed by it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it, and there's always a temptation to like look at that symbol and be like, yeah, you know, it's a one in three chance. Time. Like that, that won't come up. <laughs> and then it totally does. So you'll you'll learn as you play like what the more dangerous things are and the things that you should probably take care of uh, and not let them kind of sit around. Um, 
essentially layers. Just be careful for layers. It's my <laughs> advice to you. The, the challenge deck, does, it does only reshuffle at a certain point as well. Is it, did I hear that? It reshuffles whenever you uh, draw a card with the shuffle icon on it. Right. So essentially, anytime you draw the worst result, you'll have to reshuffle. <laughs> it, it put me in mind a little bit of, of Gloomhaven, where you can have that calculation of being like, well, I know what's left in the deck. Um, I can it, it can help me influence what I think the result is going to be when I draw the yeah. card. And, and that 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 can that can happen. Um, but there is a lot of those shuffle icons in oh, there. Okay, so. Right. I mean, Grant, but it's it's a card game, right? So like, it's entirely possible that you could get through a lot and be like, "Oh man!" Uh, but <laughs> it's, it's a, a lot to try to, that. yeah, it's a lot to try to keep in your head like what's been drawn. You can kind of like look at it and analyze, but at the end, you're still just drawing a random card. So uh, it's kind of like a uh, a fool's gambit to really trust what you're seeing uh, in that discard pile. Sometimes we just had a blessing curse in Arkham. And one of the things that MJ said about that was one of their explicit goals was to make bag maths less predictable rather than more. So like to move away from that idea of completely mathing out, this is how what I need to be on my stat, this is how I'm going to pass, to just actually get more into the kind of unpredictability of the world and, and game playing. There's something there for me, I think, with this idea of the drawing the symbols, like the spread isn't huge, but also... You know, if you're really worried, like you said about a test, maybe you're going to go two up and try and bank against that minus two. But otherwise, it's almost like have a go, explore, yeah. throw yourself in there. Yeah, there is <clears throat> there is no uh, there's no auto fail. Uh, there's no auto succeed <laughs> either. I just I hate drawing that auto fail token. It's the worst. Uh, so I just <laughs> did not want to do that. Uh, we'll, we'll have some cards that will, uh, throughout the campaign, you know, based on what you do, we'll, we'll be modifying that deck. So there'll be some, some things that'll, that'll change it. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a big, and you'll see again when you play and the, the covenant guys have discovered this too. Whenever you do something like you're, <laughs> you're kind of like, uh, you're giving the game license to mess with you. So, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the abilities that we've, that we've crafted, uh, throughout the course of development, we're constantly like weighing like the feeling of is it worth it to try that because it's going to pop everything's going to pop off when i do this thing so you really need to make sure that whatever the effect is on the board like that you as the player you know feel like oh that's that's a thing worth doing and if things go crazy after i do that it's fine it was totally worth it that i did that thing and that that's been something in playtesting that we've uh, that we've had to pay a lot of attention to it's that real risk reward, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. actually making it enticing enough that we don't, as players, just sit and use all of our energy to just play our own cards and not <laughs> sort of not engage with the world, which well, I guess you, is a possibility, right? If you just you don't want to not, do any of those tests, not really. Like you can't progress the game without engaging with the world. So mm-hmm. um, you could stall a little if you want, <laughs> uh, but what eventually, if I just you... want a peaceful time by the lake, <laughs> yeah, we'll Andrew? <laughs> yeah. Well, so you so you can do that. Like uh, the you know you can uh, you can just explore. Like mm-hmm. if you don't want the pressure of uh, of that of that ticking clock, you don't want that mission in the background and like you know worrying about that thing over there. Like oh, that flood's coming. We better go and take care of it. You you can turn all that off and just just go and explore. Um, it, it the game totally allows for that. So uh, that's another really cool part about it is that if you just want to 
experience uh, the world and uh, see what's there, meet the people there, do some fun stuff and just have a nice have a nice time walking around the world. Uh, you that you can totally do that. It, it supports all sorts of different ways to play. So one of the questions I had before I really dove into the kind of the rules and, and some more of the information in the Kickstarter is I, I guess two related questions. One is what's my balance between kind of so so in Arkham apologies I'm bringing back to Arkham. <laughs> in in Arkham <laughs> you've, you've almost got like two layers of game. You've got the the meta game where you think about you know the resolutions in between scenarios and then what you're going to add to your deck. And then you've got, I'm sitting down, I've got my four actions, what do I do with those actions? I don't think it's split the same way in Earthborn Rangers. Can you talk a little bit about that, how I engage with the narrative uh, when I'm playing the game? Yeah, so you, you know, you're not going to have to make those that, like, like I said, you don't have really have a limit on the number of actions that you can do. You're, you're, you're limited by your, uh, by your energy, and you're going to get you know, eight of that total every turn. Uh, and how you spend that energy will then uh, inform how many things you get to do uh, in a round. So you're you're not really uh, kind of like mathing out and planning out your turn the way you are in Arkham. But but in Arkham, you you know obviously it's designed for that. Like the, you, you're you're looking at the puzzle on the board, and you know that when you're done, you know this guy's going to go here, and this is going to do this, and this guy's going to hurt me for this, and he's going to go over here and do that, and like oh if I and then we're going to get some doom over here, and then we're going to lose. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So uh, I think the the meta game um, will really come down to deciding what kinds of things you want to be doing in the game. Like how, where do you want to go? How you want to get there? Like I said, the the tests on the board all all match up with your aspects, and because you'll always have a low and a high stat, and then two middle stats, like you're always going to be not quite as good at one thing as someone else is. Uh, so when you're, so when you're playing multiplayer, uh, you know, kind of like when you're playing like a, a role playing game, it's a good idea to, to, you know, to divert, to diversify. And, and if you, if you want to be able to try to do everything, or you could just decide, you know what, we're just not going to do focus tests. Like, I don't want to, I don't, I don't care about, I don't care about doing that. Like <laughs> we don't need to monkey around with all this cool, like weird, ancient technology, we can do other things. And so you can make your decisions about like what kinds of things you want to focus on, where you want to go and what you want to accomplish. And again, I, I encourage people to uh, watch uh, Steven and Zach, you know, kind of like make their way through their first playthrough and then get to their resolution. You could probably skip ahead if you wanted to like the last 15 minutes and hear them talking about like, what did we accomplish? Like we defended <laughs> a person and we went over to this location, but they tried to do so much more. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the campaign is going to have like a day limit. Like right now, the day limit is, is 30. So it's going to be a question of like, all right, in our campaign, like what things do we want to make sure to explore? What kind of rewards do we want to make sure we go get uh, to improve our deck? And a lot of that you're just going to, you know, you can read ahead if you want to <laughs> if you want to spoil it all for yourself. You can kind of like plan like, oh, where's this? You can look at the reward cards and be like, OK, well, where's this reward card? We have to go and do that. Uh, there'll be people who would do that, I'm sure. But hopefully you go around and you explore some stuff, you find things naturally, and then uh, once you do that, you'll remember, and then you can go back uh, and do it again. So I think the metagame is going to be more about, all right, you know, we, we played through this way before, and we missed all these things. What 
do we want to do differently with our decks so that we can encounter those things that we missed? But another thing about the game too is that the the progression, at least right now, the way that we have the campaign progression, it's not per player, it's per group. So uh, if you want, like you can always make a new ranger and then just kind of pick up in the middle um, if you if you wanted to. Um, so like you you you're not stuck like you because I. That's like, that'd be the worst. You're like the first time you play, you don't even know how the game works, really. You, you make this character and you get going in the campaign. You're like, ah, I don't need, if only I'd known these other things, I would have made other decisions. It doesn't really penalize you that way. Like you, you can, uh, you can just make another ranger and just keep, keep going. There are more rangers out there. You know, you, you, there's a, there's a bunch of them. So you'll always have that opportunity. If so, if, so if you want to like between games be like, okay, well, this isn't really working for me. Like uh, I, I feel like I need a higher fitness stat or like, Oh, I really want to connect with the people, the Valley more um, and get those cool rewards for, um, for interacting with NPCs. Like I want to make sure my spirit is high so that uh, we can accomplish those tasks faster and befriend those people and then find out what they want and then go help them out and get the cool thing. So yeah, you'll have lots of opportunities to do like fun metagame conversations, but it won't be about like, uh, tr- you know, essentially poking at the deck and then seeing what awful thing it does to you and then be like, okay, well, we know that card's in there, so I need to make sure I have this thing. It'll be more like, oh, we know that cool thing is in there that we want to go explore. Let's make sure that we have a character that can that can accomplish that in our group. And if you're playing solo, you know, play- playing solo is how I usually play. You're just going to have to be okay with not doing everything perfectly. Like it's it's all it's all right. It's a lot of fun to play that way. Again, it's the, there's so much to do that you can't do everything, and uh, that same thing is true in solo play. But unlike solo play in the cooperative LCGs, where if you're not like an expert deck builder or player, it can be really 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 hard to play solo with a single deck because you'll just end up, you know walking face first into a brick wall and you just can't progress because like, Oh, I have, I have nothing that can handle this. That's never the case, uh, in earthborn Rangers. Uh, you'll always be able to progress. Um, you might miss out on a couple cool things here and there, but you're also going to be able to experiencing a bunch of cool things on your own. So, uh, hopefully those things balance out, but you'll, you'll never, you'll never run into a brick wall playing as a, as a solo Ranger. That's really interesting. Yeah. And I think just from what I've read, there's almost like a level of, so again, in, in Arkham, you know, we'll sit down, play a scenario, and then we'll pack our cards away, and then we get out the book, and we read some story at the end of that session, and then at the beginning of the next session, then we get our cards back out. But it almost feels more like vertically integrated here, because we'll get a card that'll tell us to go and look at a book, and then we'll get some story. That That's how we'll, we'll start to learn the stories of these characters. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So the the story kind of happens at a couple levels. Um, yeah, you'll so you will read at the beginning and you'll read at the end, but you'll also read oftentimes throughout. So the the cards on the table have little journal entry numbers on them. Not all of them, but like the 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 most important characters and places all have those little uh, those little entries. And whenever you draw one, you'll read that entry. And then um, sometimes it's just like a nice little like stage setting. You know, you're in this place and it kind of just gets you in the right headspace and the right mood for what you're experiencing. Uh, and other times there'll be opportunities to um, uh, to do side quests and uh, lots of fun things uh, that you'll be able to resolve like during a uh, during a play session. 
those journal entries are really cool because uh, because of the way we're presenting them. We can alter what entry you read based on the mission that you're playing and based on information in your campaign guide. So just because you come across a card you've come across before and you've read that journal entry before, you should make you're always you'll always be encouraged to go back to the campaign guide to look because uh, there's a very, very good chance that you'll get a different entry when you encounter at that time. So I'm really excited both by what that can do for the campaign, but also what that can mean for doing future content uh, where we can re- recontextualize all those cards just by pointing to different entries. And it really opens up the opportunity. Again, it's all a matter of time, but I, I love the oppor- the idea of doing you know stuff that's just available as you know PDFs on our website, and you can just do fun little like one like little side stories and stuff. Uh, and it also allows for people to make their own stories, which I think would be very very cool. So um, so yeah, I love that system. It's definitely something. As, as I was reading the rules, it did jump out to me how like almost modular everything was. Mm-hmm. Maybe modular is not quite the right word. Expandable. You can see how you could plug other stuff in. Expansions could plug into it quite easily. And yeah, I, I th- think that's that's great for a co-op game to have that kind of, here's how I can add stuff on if I want to. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really uh, liked about the Marvel Champions design is the modularity of that of that deck. And uh, we, we had, I think earlier earlier in the development, we had, we were monkeying with that a little bit more than it ultimately ended up being monkeyed with in the end. But but you can always go and you can you can make whatever crazy <laughs> villain deck you want in that game. Uh, and uh, I really like that. Uh, like when there wasn't a whole lot of content at the very beginning, um, uh, you know, I know Team Covenant was just like, oh, let's just try mashing these things together and see what happens. And what do you know? It's a lot of fun. Uh, so this game allows for that too. So uh, it, it, yes, it is very modular and you'll be able to, you know, just, you can you can do whatever you want, really. Like, well, <laughs> we have rules for you, but, you know, it's a game. Like, it's meant for you to have fun with it. So I'm looking forward to people, like, making their own challenges and sharing those with the community and, and doing stuff like that. Uh, the game very much supports it. So it's it'll be fun. I, I'm, like, listening to you, like, uh, in preparation last night, I was listening to some of your guys' podcasts and just listening to you guys talk about uh, your strategies and, and analyzing things. It made me immediately think of like, wow, I wonder what people are going to be saying about <laughs> Earthborn, you know, year, year and a half from now about uh, like how they go about building their decks and teching things out. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I, I think I could definitely pick up the, the, the legacy of, of Marvel Champs when it comes to like the deck building. The deck building feels like a, a blend almost of like a role playing game and, and, and Marvel Champs where you've got these like, it, it's not just like plugging different bits together. You have a, a choice between those bits, but it, it, it guides you down a certain path. And, and rather than like picking a faction, you you, you kind of blend several elements together. Um, so it's, I think it's it's straightforward without being simple in a way. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, the deck building is a lot of fun. And, and I wish... Um... I wish that we had about, you know, 48 hours in a day so that we could have had all the deck building options available for the, for the demo. Um, but, you know, we decided to, 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 to focus on just a couple pre-built, pre-built decks to make sure everything worked properly. But, uh, but in playtesting, um, the deck building is, uh, what, what is, is one of the, everyone's favorite things. 
it is very simple on its face, which I think is the the kind of the genius of it, um, where you just you're making thematic choices along the way, and you're you're uh, it's not it's so it, there are some similarities to the Marvel Champions system, but Marvel Champions has fixed cards. It, it's more Champions is more like the um, uh, like the commanders in uh, in Warhammer 40k Conquest, where you yeah, yeah. you have like a fixed set that you, it's like these are always here, um, and then you build on top of that. Uh, that's not that's not the case with Earthborn Rangers. Um, you'll always be choosing from sets, uh, but as you're choosing sets, you can make a lot of choices based solely on theme. So you know you, you'll pick your you'll pick your aspect card. Like I said, you'll get your your stats, your role playing stats, and then you'll pick your uh, your background, which is like what you did in your formative years. And in the core set, we have four different backgrounds, and each of those background sets has nine cards in it, nine unique cards. And uh, you're going to be taking five of those uh, five of those cards and then putting them into your deck. Um, so you'll have ten cards coming out of your background. So as you see them kind of arrayed there, you can you get a good sense. You're kind of like looking down a menu, like all right, what what things appeal to me uh, <laughs> of these mechanically? And they kind of like set the table then for your for your specialization. And your specialization is like uh, what you've done in like your adulthood. And kind of the role that you that you fill uh, for the rangers, and um, those are similarly built. Those have those sets are larger. Uh, those have uh, fourteen cards in them. There's two roll cards. Uh, so those rolls are your are your ongoing. Those are your abilities that you can do every turn. Like the like the cool ability on like a, an Arkham Investigator or something like that. That's that's what's on that roll card. It's like kind of like a character class in an RPG. And then you'll have these uh, these twelve cards in the. Um, and the specialization set to then choose from. And uh, the reason why those those card uh, quantities are different is that uh, cards have a, a stat requirement on them. So you'll always be choosing from uh, the same number of cards in each set, uh, but the specialization set has cards that have three stat requirements. So like when you go to look at that set, you'd be like, okay, I can just ignore these these three cards are not an option for me. Uh, so you'll have to make some fun decisions about like where you, uh, if you want to take that, that high stat uh, card or not. And then after you make those choices, then you go on to pick your personality cards. And those are the cards that kind of like smooth everything out in your deck. You can, you'll be able to, to make sure you have a good spread of approach icons. Um, those cards also are just like good all rounder cards that can help you do all sorts of things. And you'll pick one of those for each aspect uh, and then the last thing, which is kind of the most daunting choice, but it's something that I think uh, like experienced card game players like really get into a lot. And it's like, yeah. it, <laughs> it's the thing that I get into a lot. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a really cool thing. Uh, it's called your outside interest. And that's just, you pick one card, two copies each, uh, two copies of it from anywhere else in the pool uh, and then add it to your deck. So obviously your head exploding emoji. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh my, so many choices. So for people who have who have gone through that deck building process and be like, oh, this is nice, this is easy. When they get to that, they're like, oh no. Uh we'll have a uh we'll have a list of like safe choices that you can that you can grab uh that can just help, you know, coach you along in the early goings. Um and obviously we'll still we'll also have like a you know, essentially pre pre-generated characters deck lists so that you can just grab all the cards you want and jump right in if you want to skip deck building altogether. But I recommend doing it. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do in the game. Char- character creation is fun. It's, it is very, very fun in this game. Like, I think, I think I, as I think we said this before we started, you know, we, we, everyone knows people 
including ourselves, who would sit down and generate characters for, for role-playing games. We also know people who would sit down and, and just design decks for fun. Here's a cool idea for a deck. And mm-hmm. this is like a, a probably scratches that exact same itch, you know? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're trying to imbue a, a deck with some character as well as being able to do some of the tinkering with, with, with card choices as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm personally, it's quite sad, but I'm quite excited about that element of the game. <laughs> Just when I see like, you yeah. pick this, then you pick this, and you pick this, then you choices to make. I'm like, oh yes. <laughs> I can't wait to yeah. spread the cards out and, and have a go at that. <laughs> yeah. And the cool thing is, you know, we're, you're not playing pre, uh, pre-existing personas. So I'm really looking forward to people naming their deck lists as yeah. their character okay. name. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. I'm really struck by how many opportunities there are for narrative as well in building your deck in that way. Like you say, you're not picking an Arkham investigator where you've already got your story given to you and then you're saying, I'll build a deck that makes that. You're in, you're in fact saying, well, what am I good at? I'll pick my aspect card or you're slightly better at. And then how did my life begin? And you sort of all, all, immediately those stories are appearing and your deck starts to get that, you know, you are basically you're you're role playing already, right? Before you've even yeah. got to playing the game. Yeah, I think and it's the... really. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I just sorry. I think it's really I... exciting. Yeah, I broke I broke the rule of podcasting. I I, I spoke over you. I apologize. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm really excited too about the the flavor text. We've um, we've we've done a, a a bit of it. I didn't get as much into the uh, into the demo as I would have liked. But all the flavor text you know, primarily is written in second person. So uh, as you're as you're looking at the cards for your background, it's describing to you what you have done. Um, so you can make choices based awesome. on like you know, it's like yeah, you worked with your hands and did this thing and created this awesome object. So you can be like oh, you can immediately take ownership. It's like that is part of your life. I I made this thing. Uh, it's pretty cool. That's really cool. You mentioned a couple of times as you were talking about narrative elements and sort of the the story, that idea of progression and getting rewards for your deck. Are rewards the only way decks change in this game? Is there any experience? What might people be doing to their decks between days? So, I mean, a lot of that needs to be tested. You know, like the the camp campaign progression is going to be a, a, a big focus of uh, playtesting, you know, once we uh, have everything kind of like up and running with the getting all the card, getting all the player cards up to date to the current version of the game, testing that out, making sure that all feels good. And then, and then you know, testing the pr- progression of the campaign uh, is going to be just, it's going to be a lot of work, <laughs> yeah. but it's going to be a huge, huge part of what we need to do going forward. So... So we have a couple ideas on the table right now. I mean, for the most part, it is just that it's it's when you accomplish tasks, uh, you're getting reward cards, uh, and then those go essentially into your pool of we have unlocked these cards, and then you can add them to your deck in between sessions if you're at a particular location. So like you won't be able to change your deck out like if you're out in the wilderness. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But you'll be able to uh, to alter your deck when you're at like a ranger station or you're within or you're in civilization. You'll have opportunities to do that. You also have opportunities to um, engage with merchants and then trade things out in your deck for things that they have. Uh, and those are like essentially permanent swaps because it's a the the game world. Uh, there's no money. Um, it's all uh, it's all services and barter. So. You'll be able to essentially barter for something that you want from a from a merchant with something that you have, 
but you'll have to give that up, <laughs> Wow, uh, which is pretty fun. You can always try to barter for it back. You know, there's like, like all modern RPGs, like having a buyback thing is you know, if, if you have, if you have buyer's remorse, <laughs> you can go get your Just car back. Like one of the characters who is a shepherd, like bartering away their sheepdog. <laughs> oh, that card's so good. You'll never want to do that. <laughs> And uh, so that's the that's the primary way. But we also uh, have this uh, have a, a thought to do something like an experience point system uh, mm-hmm. for a certain subset of cards. So it's this concept of um, having a quartermaster at the uh, at the ranger's headquarters, and that as you progress and gain experience uh, uh, in uh, the ranger organization, more of the more of that equipment will become available to you. So right now that is a, a sort of like an experience point system where you'll be like essentially mm-hmm. just mark you know ticking off checkboxes and then when you get to certain thresholds then uh, like a, like certain equipment will become then available to you and we'll have tiers. So we have kind of two two systems kind of working right now. Um, so some some experience but mostly rewards. Uh, that's where you're gonna get the really really good stuff. Okay. But obviously, we have to. There's a lot of there's a lot of work to do between now and yeah. knowing for sure when what, how that's all going to pan out. Yeah, and the difficulty with an experience system where your deck is your personality is what does experience look like when it's new gear, like you say, versus when it's a skill you've got better at a skill or you're more innately good at a thing. It's sort of it can be quite hard to mesh all of those things together. Well, like I said, that we're not doing experience by character; it's by it's by oh, yeah, campaign it's by group, progression. Of course, yeah. So, yeah. so you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. It will be there will be some like memories of things that I, that I want to make sure that people be able to, can put in, put in their decks. But like, if you you know have like the uh, the empathetic uh, personality trait. You're not going to necessarily be like upgrading that to like telepathic or something like that. <laughs> not in the core set, anyway. Maybe it's maybe down the road. Is there anything bad that can happen to the characters? So the flip side of rewards or, or benefits. Uh, what about bad stuff that can happen to us? Yeah. So um, there there is a little. So like again, like one of the things that I really wanted to um, to do differently with uh, with Earthborn Rangers is to uh, you know not encourage you to to start over so that that's always been one of like kind of like my biggest beef with the uh with the fail forward mechanics in arkham horror where you're just getting so beat up uh and you're just getting so much worse at the game uh and it's so hard to continually fail and then to invest all that time that it takes to play all those sessions and just have this like really uh depressing narrative um i'm just not into it i, I suggested to frank it's, it's on our list of episodes to do actually is is that exact problem i'm doing air quotes there for people who yeah 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 yes some, <laughs> if, some people are into up, it yeah if, if, if well they are but but if you're below the curve catching back up becomes progressively harder right. um, and if you're ahead of the curve you just keep on doing better right um, and you right. keep on getting more experience to spend on your deck yeah, and I, I know that, you know, through development in certain sets, uh, there's been some things, some kind of like mid midway plot points that, you know, try to adjust. Like if you're going, if things are going poorly for you, like it might give you like, eh, a little bit of nice thing to, to maybe try to help you out. But but really, I think in effect, uh, what it does for me is like when I fail, I just, again, I just start over. So it's not telling me to start over, but the outcome is so poor 
that I feel compelled to start over. And I think a lot of that has to do with how your your character, your investigator is being punished um, for for your, you know, for your poor play or, you know, if the RNG gods just didn't <laughs> weren't on your side that day. So you're not really going to be beat up that badly. Um, but there is a little bit of that. So if you uh, if during a day you suffer uh, three injuries, three total injuries, um, injuries are different than fatigue. We haven't really talked about fatigue yet, but fatigue is like is the thing that you're always going to be suffering throughout the day. It's just kind of you're taking those cards off the top of your deck. You're just carding them whenever you suffer fatigue. You're putting them face down off to the side. And you can soothe fatigue later on and then draw those cards back into your hand. But if you ever need to suffer fatigue and can't, like your deck is empty, then that's the end of the day and you're done. But another way that the day can end is if you suffer three injuries. And uh, injuries can happen from doing all sorts of things. Like you might fail a fitness test and, you know, sprain your ankle. Uh, you might be, you know, bitten by a, a predator or like have to wrestle with a hydro worm or something and it, it might give you an injury. So if you have uh, three injuries, then not that it's also uh, the, the day is over. But if you have three injuries, then you have to take a wound or like a lingering injury card and then put it into your deck. Um, this doesn't replace a card. This is like the only way that you can go above 30 cards in your deck. And then when you draw it, kind of like a kind of like drawing your weakness in um, an Arkham Horror, you'll be instructed to put it into play, and then you'll they'll have a test on it or an action on it that you can take then to remove it. So that's really right now the only like bad thing that can happen to you. So it kind of bloats your deck a little bit, which honestly like gives you one extra stamina for the day, which yeah. is not terrible. But um, you'll have to try to find that thing and. Um, and uh, and deal with it to to get rid of it because you because when it comes into play it's not it's not great it just kind of fatigues you even more and <laughs> it's just kind of like a thorn in your side. <laughs> I'm really glad you mentioned fatigue. Watching the playthrough, it's one of the the mechanics that's really jumped out to me just because of that idea that you mentioned time being maybe the only major adversary or sort of thing that you're working against, and that idea of everything we do might fatigue us. We lose cards from our own deck. And then I really enjoyed seeing all the different ways that you can soothe fatigue as well and get those cards back. So Peter, I don't know if you've even seen this, but when you soothe fatigue, you take cards from that fatigue stack and they go into your hand. Mm. So it actively encourages, and listeners obviously might not know that, it encourages you to soothe fatigue. It's not just returning it to your deck and kind of it being neutral. It's at, it's drawing you cards that you can then use. It gives you more options. I think it's really cool. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's really the the primary way that you can draw cards uh, during a turn. Um, you know, because at the end of a turn, you only draw one card uh, every every round for refreshing. So, it, fatigue is something that you know you would like to avoid, but you don't have to always avoid it. Like, just suffering fatigue is just something that you'll that'll happen. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, having ways of then getting that those cards then back into your hand uh, is is important. Yeah, I think it's really cool. I really like games where your deck of cards is more than just cards as well. I think it's a little bit, you mentioned Netrunner earlier, but the idea of the Corp deck being the R&D mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. both players having ways of interacting with that and it actually having a sort of an entity beyond it just being my deck. And yeah, I think similarly here, the idea that uh, I might want to go and interact with the landscape, but that's going to fatigue me a couple of cards because of all of the other things in the environment. And is it worth it or not? And then how do I get that fatigue back? I think it's really, yeah, really intriguing. 
Cool. Should we talk a bit about the the theme and the 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 um the ideas behind the project that have inspired you? Uh, uh, the question we often ask uh, MJ at the end of a cycle is, uh, "What's what's been on your mood board?" Um, mm. and, and what like popular culture, whether that's games or, or films or books and stuff, what 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 has inspired you for this? Um, so I think I've really tried to not be overly referential to anything that exists, but obviously like I've, (laughs) I've seen and read and listened to all sorts of things. So like there's a, a so, so many influences that, uh, have informed, have informed Earthborn Rangers, uh, and, uh, and the Earthborn setting in general. So yeah, it's not. It's, it's it's definitely not one of those situations where I feel like a lot of people kind of like go into a creative endeavor like, oh, we want to be like kind of like this and kind of like this. And I'll like, grab little bits from all over like, oh, I like this thing over here and I like this thing over here and we'll just kind of like put it all together in like a pastiche and like then we'll make our own thing. I really was trying with uh, with this setting to and I talk about this in the in the in one of the updates, but really just try to actually put myself there. You know, uh, we were, you know, talking a little bit before the show about uh, my conversation that I had with, uh, with John Blanche uh, when I visited the games workshop. Jeez, a decade ago. Sorry, I know. But it was, it was such an amazing uh, conversation. Um, but it's, uh, I think, I think it's, I think it's worth noting is that I, I feel like when, the best ideas come and flow through you. Like they don't come from your brain. Uh, they come from somewhere else and you just have to kind of invite them in and let them flow. Uh, and when the ideas are coming, if you're a writer or an artist, um, I, you'll, you'll know precisely what I'm talking about. When those ideas are flowing, it's, it's, it's not really an active thing. It's you're, you're just kind of channeling whatever comes. Um, so that's really what I was trying to do, uh, when I would try to envision the world of Earthborn is just invite the sensation of being in this place, like this, this distant future, and then, uh, trying to feel what those emotions would be like living and being in that place. And then just whatever comes, (laughs) just, just take notes and just, you know, draw sketches and like whatever appears to you you just you just uh try to grab it so um so yeah so i did a lot of time just kind of like sitting and, and quietly uh just letting that stuff come and this you know do, doing some drawings and taking notes spent a lot of time thinking like when whenever i'd go on hikes uh either locally or in the rockies like um incredibly inspiring last time i was hiking last couple times i've been hiking the rockies i just have my phone and just like take like i'll just walk like 10 steps and have like another thing come to me oh, write that down um so um yeah so really just trying to like let whatever those ideas uh, are you know come but uh you know like like i said though there are influences i i, I think you know we again we talked about this in another update like uh the uh book of the new sun by um Oh God! By, by Wolf. It's George Wolf. It's my brain is is uh, is not working for me right now. Uh, but uh, those um, those novels are amazing, and, and he, that world is set in like the crazy far future where like our the sun is 
dying and it's uh it's like it even it casts like a different quality of light on the earth uh and i was so uh inspired by that <laughs> visual and this world that that he created that it when you read it it's like it could be earth or it could be some weird like alien planet it could be the future it could be the distant past like it it's mm-hmm. uh it's it's so cool and evocative and that was uh that was definitely very influential we're artistically we're you know very inspired by uh like studio ghibli and uh that that kind of like animated film look when uh, evan and i were talking about and that's where we actually do do mood boards with the, with the artwork to try to figure out you know what what kind of direction we wanted to pursue and the the visuals in in those movies especially like my neighbor totoro um i i think a lot of people would think like princess mononoke or like uh nausicaa the valley of the wind would be a, a more of a re- more of a uh, point of reference but really i almost always go back to my neighbor totoro and the uh the scenes those pastoral scenes of the 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 fields and uh forests of rural japan just gorgeous and beautiful and like really capturing that that feeling uh, that good feeling of like this is like a nurturing place trying to bring that in and, 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 and invoke and evoke that in the artwork uh is a big thing of what what we're what we're trying to do and the quality of light too like evan is he's he's evan simonette you know the artist who's the primary artist who's working on the game is such a master at uh at capturing light and uh, the quality of light he's able to bring to each piece like really brings it to life in a way that um, it just wouldn't be there without that one last little touch he puts on things to to just really make it feel like a real a real thing even though stylistically it's more akin to like an animated film mm-hmm. but yeah my my list of my li- my list of uh, of influences is like it's mile it's miles deep <laughs> so many yeah. things uh so so many things have inspired me through the years and uh they all pop up in weird ways i was rewatching um some star trek the next generation this past year and uh there's so many times where i was watching that and they they do be an episode about a thing and have some kind of cool and then i'd be like oh well, that's where i got that idea that idea i'd totally <laughs> forgotten about that um yeah. so yeah you, you, it's it's really hard to quantify what your influences are uh you just mm-hmm. need to know that they're there um and then you know res- respect them and uh and acknowledge uh the importance they've played in your in your creative life i think what's what's interesting is that when i was younger i was obsessed with uh kind of apocalyptic fiction mm-hmm. um or, or i guess post-apocalyptic fiction I don't mind. I don't know what you mind me sharing, but you, I can see you're wearing a Fallout T-shirt. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I think well, well, two things. I think your the, the art style you've chosen kind of I'm trying to marshal my thoughts here. <laughs> <laughs> you could almost give give the brief uh, of Earthborn Rangers to someone else and see a totally different uh, visual style come out of it. And I think almost like I, I think you might have mentioned this on one of the other casts, but. Is it Horizon Zero Dawn? Mm-hmm. Almost has that feeling of of being in the far future, uh, and and you're making use of of kind of more advanced technologies in different kind of ways, um, which sort of feels like it has echoes of uh, Earthborn Rangers to it. But actually, I think you've, your your style and it's it's more hopeful than that as well. Um, it's it's not like 
a bad thing. <laughs> You're in the wake of something good that's happened. Right. Yeah, I think yeah that that is the closest. Uh, I think that is the closest analog in in uh, popular media is uh, are the visuals of Horizon Zero Dawn. But I think I, I think there's. Yeah, and I and I and I, I played that again recently just to make sure. I'm like, are we too much like that <laughs> that game? Uh, and we're we're really not at all. Uh, I was really happy to see because I played it you know, a couple of years. I played it when it came out, and I was like, I was it was very cool. I really really liked the story in that game, and obviously the the world was really fun to explore. It's just gorgeous and lush, and the uh, the art team at Gorilla is top notch. They're so so good. Uh, it's very 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 good stuff. Uh, I'm just, I'm just my my brain's just trying to think of like the the artist who was who did like the character the character concepts for Aloy. Uh, I, I forget her name and it's bugging me. Anyway, she's great. Look her up. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, but there's I think like that again. Like I think Horizon Zero Dawn kind of falls in like this similar kind of trap that I feel like uh, a lot of people do when they think about like what it means to be um, in balance with nature, and that it somehow has to implicate like a return to some kind of primitivism um, that we have to somehow like unknow the things we know in order to connect with the earth. And I think that's just a, a really bad attitude. Like so, uh, I feel like that that almost like demands that reset that happens in horizon zero dawn um where you know they're like oh how do we make people forget everything like well you know i spoiled it on another podcast i won't spoil it this <laughs> so for me it was really important to show a culture that that embraces technology that is uh that uses advanced technology and it's just a difference of like how they choose to use that technology versus how we use it you know like we we use it, you know, almost entirely for communication, entertainment, uh, for financial gain, um, all all sorts of things that just that fuel our various industries. And uh, the people of the valley use that technology um, for exploration and to aid in in their in their in their farming and their uh, and their and sustaining their their lives and like building their settlements and like working in harmony with nature and using the, that using their knowledge of technology to make that possible. So, uh, so that, that's a pretty su- su- substantial difference between, I think kind of like the, the future, there's the other future fiction that's out there that imagines humanity more in touch with the earth is that there's not any kind of reversion. There's no like suspicion around technology. Uh, it's just integrated into people's lives. And, uh, and it's just a question of like, how you use that technology and if you use it in a way that's responsible and the people of the valley do just that so they have all sorts of really cool gadgets and fun things uh but uh they're uh, they're all they're all centered around exploration and you know improving their daily lives where they still get to work with their hands and still get to be in touch uh with the world around them that's absolutely fascinating i remember reading earth abides years ago and that, that that I think actually I, off the back of having played Fallout, I think it was mentioned in the Fallout Bible, which was the mm. the companion work done by Chris Savalon, um, and and he talks about some of the influences of, of um, uh, kind of key post apocalyptic bits of text, and Earth Abides really deals with exactly what you've described, which is a, a kind of descent into primitivism. 
it, you know, he, he's, he knows where, you know, everyone's dead. He knows where there's this huge library with all of the, like, the kind of combined knowledge of, of humankind in there, but doesn't really, like, apply that. And then just everything kind of descends. It's the exact opposite of, of what you've described. And I must say, the, the other thing, I've, from what you've said, when you've talked about the project in, in other places, the, the thing that really grabs grabbed me and, and made me love it is this the idea of the generational projects to, to, to kind of heal the world because it's a and it, it runs right through the game to how you play it it's cooperative and it's something you're doing not necessarily to see the benefit straight away um, or to realize that for yourself but doing something because you know it's the right thing to help you know in, in, in the long run mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got kind of got cooperation written through it like a, like a stick of rock <laughs> yeah i think uh the, that's been one of the like fun things to see as it's evolved so much of what we're doing with earthborn both as a company and with the and with the game they've all kind of like merged together in this really um this really organic way it, it, it definitely we definitely didn't go into it like with this master plan for having all of these themes and of gameplay, of of lore, and uh, of the mission of the company, all like kind of converging at the same place. But uh, uh, but you know, I guess since I'm <laughs> since I'm the person at the at the head of all of it, I guess it makes sense that they all kind of <laughs> ended up funneling down the same uh, down the same path. Exactly. It's not to say that you have to be making a game about sustainability to be sustainable. Um, it's just that's how it's worked out here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's great. I, the other thing I'd add about the sustainability, which we haven't really talked about too much in this episode, there's plenty of other places people can hear you talking about about the sort of sustainability side of it. But again, kind of linking us back to Arkham, over the last year and a half, the Arkham community suddenly got really interested in shipping containers and how their products got to them. Because before that point, we might care about release dates, but we didn't actually care that it was sitting on a container in some ocean. And I think for a lot of gamers over the last year and a half, we've actually become a lot more aware of how do our games arrive. You know, I I knew even from playing Netrunner that it was printed in China and then it went and sat in a warehouse in America and then or whatever it was. But really starting to become aware of, is this actually the, the best way to do this? Is this the, the most efficient way? I heard about another game deciding to fly its product around the world because it wanted to get its product out at the time it had set. Some of these practices seem really unsustainable. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's. I think the timing. I, I don't. I imagine it wasn't your plan to choose a global <laughs> pandemic as a way of getting more people switched on about <laughs> about this kind of thing. But it has worked out in your favor, I suppose, in that regard at least. That awareness has grown. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, none of this was planned. Uh, I mean, originally, uh, I, I was hoping to have this game essentially um, out by now, you know, uh, mm. I, I had totally unrealistic expectations for how quickly we could get it done. But no, I, I mean, I think it's good, obviously, that, you know, that people are are aware of that thing and becoming more aware of it. Um, but that is a big part of uh, the Earthborn Games mission is just to to talk about it more in, in a, in a very front facing way. Uh, we're not, 
Earthborn Games is not the only company out there doing things sustain, trying to do things sustainably. Um, mm-hmm. uh, not at all, uh, and even in even in games, um, like there's a there's a company that I was made aware of uh, just this past week. I haven't even heard of before called Treaser. Um, they've done a couple of games on Kickstarter, and and their missions essentially the exact same as as Earthborn. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to uh, to get in touch with them and and see if uh, if there's some way that we might uh, cooperate in some way. But I feel like you know the the sustainability conversation has been kind of kind of in the background, and there aren't I don't think anyone really willing to just kind of just go out there and say yeah well the company is based on that <laughs> like yeah. that's a pillar and just yeah. put that out there especially in the hobby game space where it's all about you know giant productions and uh, you know tons of components and things that you know people believe can only be made in China. So there's no other choice. And what else can we do? You know, like we're just going to keep doing things this way. A big part of what I'm trying to accomplish is just is just create a conversation and, and awareness so that we can uh, so people can start to think a little bit more critically about where their stuff comes from. But the shipping problems that you're describing here, like, yeah, the, the pandemic has made things worse. But, you know, you could it's not like people couldn't see those problems coming like one thing goes wrong and it all goes to hell. So uh, that's kind of been the thing that I've <laughs> that I that I had been like harping on for a decade. Uh, you know, working at FFG was like, hey, why why are why are, are we so uh, stuck? Like essentially stuck w- with all our eggs in this particular basket. Like if something goes sideways, then we're kind of sunk. Uh, mm-hmm. And I feel like with especially with a lot of smaller publishers and you know Kickstarter. Uh, uh, publishers, especially, um, who are running on, you know, relatively thin margins, trying to fulfill their games, uh, seeing those costs go up so crazy high has been, uh, really, really painful. Um, and it makes the products that they're putting out, like it really, really hurts the bottom line and it's some, and it's going to have to be passed on to someone, uh, and it's going to be the customer. Uh, so yeah, I think, uh, it's good that it's in the conversation. Obviously, I, I I'd prefer that it, it, it don't need it to be in the conversation, but uh, it's one of those things where I feel like that's generally speaking how how they, our industry runs is that you'll they'll just keep doing things the way the way they're done. I think it's probably how most industries run. You keep doing things the way they're done because they they work. You have your relationships you've built. Making change is difficult and expensive. Uh, so even if you see a problem, you'll be like, eh, you know, let's just wait. Maybe it'll be yeah. fine, uh, and then when it doesn't, and it's not fine, then uh, then then that's when you react, you know. So, uh, so I feel like that's totally what's happening. Like, uh, there's there's no choice but to react now. So people are reacting to the problem, but uh, it's definitely something that we could have been and should have been more proactive about. So yeah, regional manufacturing is a big part of what we're trying to do with the Kickstarter. Who knows? Like, hopefully by the time this posts. We'll at least be uh, trying to make a go at uh, at regional manufacturing. Um, we're very very close right now, uh, halfway through to unlocking those stretch goals. And what that does is, um, so when those stretch goals unlock, there's an opportunity for there to be three separate productions of Earthborn Rangers: um, one in Europe, uh, it, in the EU, uh, but serving Europe; uh, one in the UK, uh, serving the UK exclusively. Um, if Brexit hadn't existed, then I probably wouldn't have to do that. Thanks, yeah. thanks for that. 
Um, and, uh, and then one, uh, in the U S serving the U S and Canada. Um, so, uh, right now there's a, it's looking very, very promising to be able to at least, um, guarantee a regional run domestically in the U S. Um, Mm -hmm. still, we'll still need to get a fair number of backers to make that a guarantee. Uh, but, um, but what that means is, you know, your, your stuff's not going to have to get on a boat. You're not gonna have to worry about your product stuck on a container in customs somewhere uh it's just all going to be overland and that's going to very it's going to very much shorten the time that it takes to manufacture the game but also drastically reduce the time it's going to take for it to get to you so it's it's things that are both good for the environment and good for business in my mind because it'll mean hopefully for a lot of uh happy backers and customers yeah it's a thing that i think lots of game players just except as the way it's done that you order a thing and then you wait a long time and it doesn't and exactly as you say it's only when there's actually a problem that people say well why don't we fix that there's something kind of quietly revolutionary about saying well hang on actually maybe we can print this in three different places if there's enough demand and that makes it easier for all of those people to access the product yeah it's uh it's not what any accountant would say is good good financial business <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so don't get me wrong there like i think that's the, the benefit of being uh primarily a creative person and not a not what i would say like primarily a business person is that i mm. i make decisions based on what i feel are my values and my common sense not necessarily what is uh the most profitable so there is no way that doing regional runs for this game in three different factories saves me any money. It is the opposite. It is mm-hmm. more expensive and uh, it destroys any any uh, discount I'd get for volume. So, uh, so there's no financial incentive in this. It is really just a can we do it uh, because um, I believe it's an important thing to attempt. What's been interesting as a fan of Games Workshop is watching how, because they retained the bulk of their manufacturing, certainly the figure manufacturer in the UK. Mm-hmm. And if you look at their financials for the past year, it's certainly paid off. <laughs> They've given all of their retail staff a £5,000 bonus. So mm-hmm. they, do, I think rule books and, and some of the terrain and stuff is still manufactured in, in China. And that, that's led to some delays. But actually, you know, it was a decision which some people were kind of like, you know, a bit dismissive of a few years ago, retaining all that manufacturing. And it's really turned out to work in their favor, from my understanding anyway. Yeah, well, there's so much, like, there's so much to admire in the way that Games Workshop has their operations set up in Nottingham. Uh, And I I feel like, I I think I talked about this on another podcast, but... Uh, Yeah, I think you talked about this with Matt, yeah. Yeah, so it's just, they have everything right there. You know, like you said, they have their manufacturing and and their fulfillment center right next to their design studio. And it's just like this little cool little campus of like all these cool, just the different parts of the business. And, you know, e- even without the supply chain issues that, that deal with, you know, like working with China and like trying to ship things around the world, they're already in a really great position to manufacture things more or less on demand, not have like ridiculous overstocks of anything. Their fulfillment centers right there. They can print however many copies of whatever you know model-based product <laughs> right next door get it over there in a few days and then it's out like it's just 
it's mind-blowingly efficient. It's I, it's, yeah. uh, it's very cool. Yeah, they're it's, they're, they're uh, almost just printing money. You know, it's it's crazy. <laughs> well, they they've been doing that you know for years, and I think yeah, you know when yeah, you forty years. Yeah, and I think you know as a as a, you know living in the states, um, you know we're always paying a premium for um, for GW products, uh, mostly because uh, the exchange rate is terrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there's always a kind of a complaint like, oh, you know, it's like it's so expensive, blah, 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 blah. Well, it's expensive because they do things the right way. Um, what they do is expensive. They are a publicly traded for-profit company, so they have very good margins, I'm sure. Uh, but um, but I think you see why it's worth it. You see why it's worth it because they're able to deliver and, and uh, keep, the, keep the machine rolling even when uh, the other people's machines have ground to a halt. Yeah, yeah. We've dived more into the the playing of the game, um, not as much as obviously watching the game being played on Team Covenant, but but certainly more than the other interviews, which I think is good. Um, and I think the kind of questions we were being asked. Oh, I should say, I should say that by the time this is live, uh, you will be able to play a de- the demo, the Team Covenant demo on Tabletop Simulator. Oh, that's very exciting. Yes, so that'll that'll go live sometime next week. Um, mm-hmm. Andrew Fisher, uh, who's been uh, one of the collaborators on the project, who's been helping me the most with the Kickstarter, he uh, had a pre-planned vacation <laughs> uh, that he like <laughs> set up like a year ago uh, for the middle week of the Kickstarter. So um, if people who have been following the Kickstarter are wondering, like, where's Andrew Fisher been? Uh, he's he's been out uh, like walking uh, in the in the uh, the the uh, boundary waters um, between Minnesota and uh, in Canada, which is a beautiful like nature preserve. So, uh, but he has the keys to that workshop. <laughs> so as soon as he gets back, we're gonna work yeah. on uh, doing a couple of little modifications to it to prep it, and then uh, and then we'll make it live. So by the so by the time your listeners are hearing this, uh, they can head over to Tabletop Simulator and uh, and uh, try out the same demo that um, that Team Covenant plays. So theoretically, they can play that before the Kickstarter ends as well. So they can yes. have a, a nice informed decision on absolutely. I mean. I will always say that playing it on Tabletop Simulator is about one-eighth as good as playing it physically. But mm-hmm. if it's a platform that you're used to and comfortable with, then you're just fine. I think it's the worst. <laughs> I, far, <laughs> I far prefer to play with physical cards. Like The feel of cards is, is really important uh, to a card game. And uh, every time I play it physically, I always feel so much better than when I leave playing Tabletop Simulator where it's just like... It always stresses me out because I'm always constantly accidentally rotating my cards and like grabbing the whole deck instead of one card off the top. And ugh. when Frank and I play on Tabletop Simulator, we play a little game which is how many of my components can Peter rotate without me noticing. <laughs> <laughs> we play Why are all of my components more... upside down? Uh, yeah, uh-huh. I turn them all upside down. That's good fun. <laughs> <laughs> I like sh- I like shuffling tokens. Uh, I'm sorry, I like shuffling, like shuffling tokens. Yeah, just, so they just jump in the there. air. Yeah, that's fun. I'm sorry, I let you do the outro. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Andrew, for taking the time to talk to us, but particularly taking the time to talk to Drawn to the Flame listeners. There's been a lot of interest in this game. It's another cooperative card game, so it's really cool to um, peek under the bonnet a little bit and look at the workings of it, and also just hear more about it from you. So yeah. Um, I think 
we should just direct people again to the Kickstarter. If they go to Kickstarter and search for Earthborn Rangers, that's born with an E at the end. Mm-hmm. The cool way to the cool way to spell it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you again for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks again. We're just over, I think we've just been recording over an hour. I'm, I'm ha- really happy to keep going, but I'm aware this is your weekend and you're busy. Oh, uh, do, what's do a weekend? You... <laughs> <laughs> I have not uh, taken a day off in, what is it, August? Uh, yeah. At least five, five months, five months. Bro, well, I'm I'm, ha- I'm very happy to keep chatting. Just if, if you do yeah. need to, to head off at any point, just just let us know. Um, and we can, oh, no, this is good. I... Uh, I, I I checked again. I, I was I was I was going through some of your guys' episode last last night, and uh, you know most of them were like an hour. And I saw the M- latest one with MJ. Well, oh, that's two and a half. I was like, well, that's <laughs> that's probably what we're gonna do. So uh, so it's all good. Sorry, Frank, I interrupted you. No, that's quite right. We might not do two and a half. <laughs> <laughs>